Welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for the Scottish AI Alliance. I'm Will Millership, Communications and Events Manager at the Scottish AI Alliance, and today we're going to be discussing the challenges and experience of implementing AI technologies in the workplace. And with me, I have two exciting guests to discuss the matter. Firstly, I have Dr. Luciana Blaha, Assistant Professor in Business Management and Human Computer Interaction at Harriet Watt University, and Professor Donald Hislop, who is a professor in the Sociology of Work and Technology, also in the Business Management Department, but at the University of Aberdeen. So welcome to you both. Hi, great to be welcome. here. Excellent. I think we can, um, you know, this is going to be an exciting discussion. I think we can dive straight into the questions. Um, while doing my research, I noticed that you both have kind of very extreme, you know, diverse profiles spanning different topics, different subject matters and industries. So I was wondering if you can both give me a brief introduction to yourself, um, your work and how you ended up doing what you're doing now. So if we start with Luciana. Okay, thanks, Will. So um, as you'll be able to see probably on the profile on the university, I've ended up working in the private, public and third sector as well. And um, that's given me a bit of an overview of how these sectors influence each other, and especially in my most recent work, which was in the public sector. Um, I've been exposed as a frontline worker to sort of community concerns about technology, but also new um, initiatives that organizations take. So the idea for my most recent research actually came from a discussion with my manager at the time, was telling me about these exciting new projects that might include AI and a discussion having a discussion around how that might impact our day-to-day -day work. Um, and really that, that really stimulated my research and I ended up wanting to know more and more. And the more I spoke to frontline workers and um, senior decision makers and then people in the healthcare sector, for example, um, I became more interested in, in how our lives will change um, with the introduction of AI. So that's that's what brought me here, really. Brilliant. Thanks, Luciana. And uh, over to you, Donald. Okay, um, I, I've got a, a quite diverse history. Um, this Academia is my second career. So if you go back to the late 80s, early 90s, I was an engineer, um, but I didn't like that. I realised I didn't like that. And I went back to university in Edinburgh and I did a, a master's degree and a PhD in the sociology of technology. Edinburgh University's got a, a, a kind of world-renowned centre for uh, science and technology studies, uh, the, the kind of social science study of science and technology. Um, and I, I kind of developed my academic career there. And so since the 90s, I've been doing academic research on technology and work. And I'm particularly interested in how different technologies impact on workers uh, more than anything. Um, I've spent a lot of time looking at mobile technologies and business travel and smartphones and how people work on the move and people work at home, etc. Over the last 10 years, I've started to look at AI technologies and how they might be impacting on work and workers. And so my focus has moved much more towards AI over the last five years, probably. And I, I moved to Aberdeen in 2019, and that's when I met with Luciana and uh, we started collaborating since 2019. Great. And um, what's the kind of work you're collaborating on at the moment? Um, Luciana, maybe you can tell me a bit more about that. 
Yeah, certainly. So there are a couple of things we're collaborating on. So apart from um, delivering a lunchtime workshop, which we will um, with your help soon, um, we are working on some theories um, that have to do with modeling how AI and new technologies are understood in organizations and how this relates to decisions to purchase these technologies, decisions to sort of integrate them in in day-to-day work practices. And we're also um, working on um, some more public engagement events. For example, we have a research showcase at Harriet Watt University coming in November on data and innovation that will touch a little bit on this as well. And Donald will also be there. Brilliant. Yes, that's a good chance for me to mention the two workshops. I probably should have mentioned it in the introduction. Um, Donald and Luciana are going to be running two workshops in collaboration with the Scottish AI Alliance. Uh, The first will be an Edinburgh, an in-person workshop on the 11th of November, and the second will be on the 22nd of November, an online workshop for anyone who can't make the um, in-person element. I'll pop the links of that in the description below so any listeners can sign up for the workshop if they're interested. So um, both of your work kind of looks at automated systems, how the automated systems shape both people and organizations. Um, Do you think you can go into a bit kind of what you think are the most significant ways in which AI in particular uh, do so? We can start with Donald this time. Um, Okay, potentially, you know, talking about automated systems, quite broad area. So um, if we took that to include things like the gig economy, then there's a whole sector of work there, massive growth in the last 10, 15 years of Uber and um, Just Eats and all these of um, app-based delivery systems, you know, where they, they have they've got a very different business model of how business is is, is carried out, how workers are employed, etc. Um, so that's one whole way in which automated systems and apps are being used. Um, and Uber, et cetera, has transformed this uh, taxi industry. The kind of area that Luciana and myself are more focused on is about artificial intelligence and kind of big data and algorithms. Um, there's a number of potential impacts. Um, probably the most high profile, but it's not really something that we look at, is about impact on employment. And there's lots of kind of negative stories and scaremongering about how AI and algorithms are going to steal jobs and lots of people are going to lose their jobs and driverless cars, etc., and automation of office work and the future will involve very few people doing jobs because AI systems will do everything. I think there's a lot of hype and exaggeration there, but that's not something that Luciana and I kind of particularly look at. Um, the kind of thing I'm the other way in which work can change is through uh, people having to collaborate with AI systems and, and technologies. You know, I, I don't think there'll be lots of redundancies, but I think jobs will change where people have to use AI systems as part of their jobs. For example, office work might change where people have to do people have to use AI systems to to process data and analyze data, and that data will inform decision making. So office work will involve collaborating with AI systems and technologies. And similarly, call centers, these are chatbots that 
kind of Luciana's been looking into, they will transform work in call centres because some of the call centre tasks might be done by robots and chatbots and some of them will be done by humans. So people working in call centres are going to have to collaborate with robots and chatbots, etc. So for me, that's the more interesting development, how people have to collaborate with these technologies and utilise these technologies in quite different ways. And it might change the skills needed for jobs, etc. Um, so, Luciana, any thoughts on that? Yes, certainly, Donald. And thank you for referring to, to some of our work and some of the other examples as well. Um, I agree that in, in our work in particular, we are looking at how people can collaborate with various AI-enabled technologies um, and algorithms. And the reason why I mention AI-enabled technologies is that because um, it's because we often see a combination of various technologies that are purchased by organizations as a package. So we could have, for example, a chatbot that has a sort of script-based conversation, which isn't necessarily AI in that it doesn't involve learning, but it has an AI module, for example, that processes language, um, registers the, the, consum the consumer's reaction, and gives particular scores and makes particular decisions based on that. But we also very often find this um, in association with RPA, robotic process automation. So going back to the types of automation and collaboration that we're referring to, this means that um, automation shapes people's day-to-day -day work and that they have to acquire different skills, partly to analyze data and check whether the AI module's decisions are accurate, but also partly to decide which tasks they they have to check or redo after automation has taken place, let's say after an automated invoice has been filled, um, and what to sort of trust that that has been that it has been completed by by the technologies. Another example um, I can give is actually based on digital marketing. And uh, something that I've come across while speaking to some professionals in the area has to do with how their um, field has changed over the past five years or so. Um, and, you know, digital marketing is already quite a contemporary role. It's only appeared um, on the market over the, the last decade or so. So what this means for digital marketing is that from uh, managing algorithms that create campaigns, the role of a digital, a digital marketer has changed to also analyzing data based on dozens of accounts to make decisions to then regulate the algorithms. So I guess what we're seeing is a collaboration at various stages of, of people's tasks um, in terms of automation um, and at various parts of the process with various types of, of automation technologies if that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds, sounds really interesting, um, interesting stuff. So to the next question kind of goes back to where um, what Donald was mentioning before around chatbots um, and the use of uptakes within businesses. I understand that you both are doing quite a bit of work with um, chatbot technology. Um, so I wanted to kind of know, well, from your perspective, where we are with chatbot technology and do you think that chatbots are as good as or even better than doing humans at the same job? And if not, do you think that's somewhere where they're going to get to 
and how long do you think it will take? I know there's a lot of questions in there to unpack, but maybe we can start with Donald on that one again. Um, okay, so where are we with these technologies? I think this is one area where there's been sig very significant kind of development in tech. Um, you know, so voice recognition technology um, is been kind of transformed. You know, if you go back even a couple of years, some of these technologies struggle to deal with accents, you know, strong accents, Scottish accents. Um, you know, you, you could talk to these, you know, uh, chatbots and they wouldn't understand. And I think there's been a, you know, leaps and bounds and advances in that where, you know, people, these technologies can now really have, they're very good at understanding accents. You can almost have real-time conversations um, so I think the technology has transformed a lot. Um, and I think that means a lot of organisations are starting to use them um, at the kind of front line of customer service work. So from a from an ordinary kind of citizen point of view, every time you phone a call centre, the most likely interaction you're going to have to start with will be with a chatbot or a robot. Um, and, you know, so I think that they're becoming embedded in sort of daily life, whether people realise it or not. And I think an interesting thing, maybe something Luciana might develop, is they're becoming so good that people sometimes don't realise that they're talking to a human or a robot. Um, but I think more and more when, when you phone a bank or a train company or whatever for, for information, you probably speak to a robot before you speak to a human. So things have been developing quite a lot. Luciana? Thank you. Um, yeah, I think in terms of how they're developing, we're noticing um, a very significant influence of the organization on how they are developed as well. So something that I've noticed in um, a couple of organizations that I've worked is, is that the knowledge that the organization has about the community can mean that the chatbot does fit in and feel sort of natural. In particular, when it comes to Scottish accents, um, a couple of uh, organizations I've worked with actually took time to include um, dialects, local dialects in, in developing the chatbots. And if you're someone who wants to for example, promote their culture and feel comfortable in, in having a natural uh, conversation with a chatbot, seeing that they actually respond to your dialect um, questions can be very empowering and very reassuring. Um, so I think that we'll see an increasing trend in that and we'll see an increasing trend in adjusting chatbot development to local communities. Um, we do indeed have quite cutting edge technology, um, you know, such as GPT-3 that inform how chatbots are developed, but that is at the sort of global international level. I think we'll see an increasing trickling down into adjusting that to, to local communities over the next five years or so. That's really interesting, the kind of, you know, the inclusivity of it and how it empowers people if you can actually, well, firstly, if it can actually understand you and if it can kind of, you know, get, <clears throat> understand very niche dialects or very specific um you know languages that's yeah an interesting interesting position um one of the questions you were asking was about can they be as good or better than humans so on, on that topic i think i think they can but one of the challenges is uh whether the public trust the technology mm -hmm. and want the technology and like the technology and say for call centers if you're phoning a bank 
I think there's a there's a trust issue and people some people like maybe I don't know I don't want to be ages but maybe older people might want to prefer to speak to a human rather than a, a robot etc so I think the technology has the potential to do the jobs just as well as um, as people but you know the the trust of the public in these technologies uh, so for example in HRM where I, you know there's um, robots are starting to do kind of job interviews, you know, kind of simple job interviews. And research suggests that they're more reliable and less biased than human interviewers. But the people being interviewed prefer to be interviewed by a human rather than a robot. So even though the results are more are, are less biased, people still prefer to be interviewed by a human because I don't know there's there's a comfort issue so public acceptance might be a challenge. Yes, sir. Do you have something to add to that, Luciana? Yes, certainly. Um, I wanted to add some recent research that a colleague actually presented at the European um, uh, Colloquium for Organizational Studies, which uh, looked at the fact uh, that trust is so important um, because it also helps maintain sort of normal human behavior. So just on the conversation of how people's behavior is changed, where people do not trust these technologies, they end up adjusting their language and their behavior to sort of match what they think the algorithm is looking for. And that can sort of um, be one of the ways in which the technologies can backfire uh, where trust and transparency aren't, you know, well, well enough substantiated. How do you think um, this is a question for both of you? How do you think trust like that could be could be built? I can um, I can start answering that question. Um, one of the ways in which, according to our research, trust could be built would be, first of all, through transparency. Um, people seem to react quite well to knowing what technology is used and what its limitations are. Um, from the outset, um, it seems that although we see a tendency from some organizations to give a sort of human identity or human-like identity to the technology, such as, hi, I'm Samantha, I will answer all your questions, people actually prefer to know that it's a really useful tool. Um, and so we see quite high use, for example, of Google Assistant um, and more sort of debates around Alexa's identity and what she prefers or what she likes. Um, so I think that kind of transparency and clarity on, on the technology's limitations builds trust. It gives people a sense of increased control. Yeah, I mean, how to build trust is a very interesting and quite challenging thing. I think ultimately it will take time. You know, there's no quick fix to it. You know, I think what Luciana's saying is, you know, is important. And that's, you know, transparency is really important. You know, people are worried about algorithms which make decisions and they have no clue how it works. So transparency is important. But I think we have to accept that people wanting to trust these technologies, it might just take a bit of time. Um, and openness about communication, etc., and transparency about where they're used and how they work. It's probably a good starting point to to do that. Yeah, certainly, it's one of these things when all all kind of new technologies are viewed with mistrust at, at the beginning and as some sort of kind of mystical thing. Um, but once you unpack them and start to explain them, you can build that you can build that understanding of it. Um, so it's just on on that. Just I, I suddenly thought of another aspect to that in terms of trust in technology and sort of robots, etc. 
the 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 kind of mistrust that's typical in Britain and the West is quite contrasting with the kind of East and Japan. Um, you know, and if you go to Eastern cultures, they have a very different. It's quite an interesting cultural difference. You know, in in the Far East and in Japan, robots are regarded as friends, as companions. People trust them much more. Whereas, you know, in the West, you know, we regard them as threats. You know, the, the Terminator idea that robots are going to kill us and take over the world. That's not how they're viewed in Japan and the Far East. You know, they're, they're seen much more in a positive and friendly way. So. That there's a whole other dimension to the trust thing, and maybe it's maybe the the distrust of technology and robots is a Western thing rather than a global thing. That's an interesting, interesting idea. I never, I never thought about that. And yeah, you uh, maybe maybe there was a a movie around the same time as Terminator about a friendly friendly robot in Japan, and that kind of set us on the different trajectories. Um, one issue I wanted to come back to, one idea I wanted to come back to, which um. You've mentioned a few times now uh, it comes into the idea of the chatbots getting better than humans at doing the job. Um, Donald mentioned about hype over over workplace and uh, jobs. But what do does the rise in automated systems mean in the workplace for jobs? You know, what does automated cars mean for drivers, for example? What does chatbots mean for call center um, employees? So can we start with uh, Luciana on that one? Certainly. Um, I think that's where we're starting to look at this question from from multiple perspectives. And Donald and I like to look at it both from the sort of technological constraints and benefits, as well as the organizational input and the employees input here. And really, it has to do with how we design jobs and roles and what we expect from our employees for it. Uh, from it, a good example is um, a recent um, uh, research that I've got from um, a data science company. Um, and they have projects that automate, um, let's say, the processing of large amounts of data from dozens of Excel spreadsheets and use an algorithm to translate them into a weekly presentation that is delivered as a deck for, for senior managers to use. So you could argue that um, employees such as junior analysts could use their, their job for that. However, the organization's argument was that they want their junior analysts to not just uh, manage Excel spreadsheets and collate them into a PowerPoint. And even um, with that, they wouldn't be able to, to deal with 100,000 data points on their own. Um, what they would like them to do would be to be able to understand that information and be able to check the points and the quality of the data. Um, so in that sense, because the organization has defined that role in such a way, it means that automation won't sort of take the job away from, from this junior employee um, or this analyst. It means that it will enable them to deal with backlogs, for example, or it will enable them to um, use more critical thinking in their role than they would have traditionally. Um, it does mean in in certain other areas, such as factory work, for example, that skill sets might change significantly. Um, we've all seen automation that started in the 90s, um, 80s, 90s, for example, where we have robotic arms that are guided by algorithms to manage components with a certain precision, and that does take people out of that factory work. Um, but 
it's difficult to discuss it at a sort of local level, and it's important to see what's happening in the industry. So I think what we're seeing is a sort of migration of jobs and job redesign um, at that level. Donald, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I would look at the, the impact of these technologies on jobs, I, I would try to try and take it as a broadest possible overview. I think there's maybe three types of impact, and that you know there may be some job losses, uh, you know, where some organisations replace some workers with technology. So, for example, call centres. Call centres may start to use fewer employees, fewer humans and more robots. So, you know, call centres may employ fewer people. And, you know, so there, will, there is likely to be some job losses um, because of these technologies. But the second change is there's, there's going to be new types of job created, you know, in the, because of these industries. People have to design these technologies. People have to create the algorithms, etc. And when you when you if you're talking about physical robots and factories, etc., you need people to service them, maintain them, install them, etc. And um, so history tends to suggest that whenever we have new waves of technology, it eliminates some jobs, but it also creates lots of new jobs. You know, the, you know, if you go back to the 19th century, the Luddites were terrified about. Um, automation in you know factories in Lancashire, um, but you know the Industrial Revolution created more jobs than it destroyed. Um, so uh, you know th there'll be some job loss, but there'll be also job creation. But the third change to jobs is augmentation and collaboration, where people you know jobs will be changed and people will have to collaborate with these technologies. So people working in call centres or offices or pretty much any job will have to collaborate and utilise these technologies. And that will change the nature of these jobs. You know, it will require more computer literacy, um, et cetera, and it will change the skills of these jobs. Um, you know, there's examples from Japan of, uh, you know, robots being used in care homes, et cetera. So even things like nursing work, care work might be transformed because of, the use of these technologies, etc. So augmentation is probably going to be, I would say, the biggest impact. Yeah, I like that. Those three, you know, three three ideas: job loss, job creation, but then augmentation and collaboration really kind of sums it up nicely. And I guess using people's skills, you know, I heard a lot about care work that the robots take care of the things like bringing food and the the boring stuff, but the humans can um, focus on talking to people and engaging in conversation with the elderly and things that humans are still the human side of the work to leave the automation to the robots and the mundane tasks. So that brings us on nicely to our next question. I wanted to ask you a bit about the cornerstones of uh, the Scottish AI Alliance's work ethics, which is trustworthy, ethical and inclusive, which was set out in Scotland's national AI strategy. So we've already spoken, obviously, about trustworthy. We've spoken a bit about inclusivity. But um, how do you feel that these tenants fit into the world of automated systems? We could start with uh, Luciana again. Thanks, Will. I feel that uh, these tenants fit into the world of automated systems quite well because they capture um, some of the principles required to ensure that this augmentation and collaboration can take place. We were talking earlier about the importance of transparency and communication and patience in, in building 
trust from workers. Um, and I think this pillar of trustworthiness is very important because it means that less time can be spent managing conflict and sort of um, managing backlogs and more time can be spent in tackling tasks because people feel that they can trust the technology and they know how it works. Um, in terms of authenticity as well and inclusivity, it's not just related to the moral principles that we have and we want to encourage as public sector organizations, but it also has a, the very pragmatic consequence of having increased efficiency and effectiveness of the technologies we use. The reason why we have such a wide adoption of these technologies is really because there is some understanding that they can improve people's lives, um, not necessarily directly, although we do see evidence of that in hospital settings where uh, we don't have enough healthcare workers, for example, especially in Africa, um, to, to help people get their treatments, but also from a wider perspective in um, helping uh, manage agricultural land, for example, or monitoring weather systems as we have in the UK. So I think really they're quite embedded in the core of how technology can be developed for good. Um, Donald, what do you think? I, yeah, I mean, trust, ethics, inclusivity are, you know, fundamental in looking at technology. And, and coming back to what we spoke about earlier, transparency, I think transparency about how they're used, how they work, how they make decisions, Kind of feeds into that. Um, the kind of position perspective on technology I, I kind of start with for any technology is technology is designed by human beings. Technology isn't a neutral object. Technology, any technology, a car, a bike, a robot is designed by a human and it embodies some values of the people designing it. Um, and there's been research which has shown accidentally that you know algorithms include biases because the designers have you know tacitly had biases which have been designed into the systems etc um, so we need to we need to be aware of the potential for technology to be biased and not neutral and you know we constantly have to interrogate that and review that etc and I think that's not I'm not saying people are out to uh, to do bad things, but you know, tacitly, you know, everybody has human, everybody has values, and they become embedded in decisions we make and the technologies we design. Um, you know, so the idea that we can we can eliminate bias by using algorithms to make decisions, I think, is a a kind of false optimism because those algorithms are designed by people, so they still include some bias. So you know, we need to always constantly. Um, sort of review these things, and I, I, I'm not sure. I've got a little anecdote about the transparency and trust issue. I don't know. I'll you can maybe edit this out, but um, I had a a personal experience with this is to do with an algorithm making decisions about car insurance. Um, so I I used to live in Aberdeen city centre, and I parked my car in the street, and. About 18 months ago, I moved to a rural location with a driveway and a garage. So I assumed my car insurance would go down because it's much less risk. And the quote I got from my insurer, my insurance went up by 30%. And they couldn't explain why. So I was confused and I phoned them and I asked them, can you tell me why? Why has my insurance gone up? Because I'm now living in a tiny village with a garage etc and they, they couldn't explain why and they, they basically said well the algorithm said 
your insurance needs to go up. I said, but tell me why? And they couldn't give me an answer. They said, well, there's, there's a whole number of possibilities, but we don't really know how it works. It could be this, it could be that. So they couldn't answer. And I spoke to various people in the organisation and none of them could actually tell me clearly how the algorithm had worked out my car insurance. And, you know, um, so for me, that was a a lack of transparency and a a limitation in the organisation. And it it affected my trust in the insurer because they couldn't give me an explanation. If they could have given me a clear explanation, I would have been happy. I think that's an excellent example on kind of a individual level of how explainability and you know you look at these ideas of explainability and transparency and you think it seems very abstract you're like why does that matter but just a small example like that just shows in a nutshell you know very cleanly why it matters um so we're coming to the end of the podcast so i wanted to ask one more question um and thinking about the future so in a nutshell can you ask answer you know in the next five to ten years what do you think will be the most influential technology implemented in the workplace so let's start with donald on this one. Oh god well i i would start by saying usually humans predicting the future are actually quite bad you know if, if you look at history of predictions hg wells etc most predictions, Walt Disney, most predictions of the future are not very accurate. So I'm always slightly kind of loath to sort of do this. I'm going to give quite a boring answer and and say, I think change, despite all the hype, I think change might be, if we're talking five, ten years, change might be relatively incremental, despite the sort of advances in technology, because some of the things we've talked about, human acceptance, is an incremental thing and the regulation of technologies is also a significant factor so if we one of the examples of driverless cars we may have the potential to do that you know with teslas and with various other um driverless car technologies but i think we're going we're still a long way from the mass adoption of driverless cars because there's massive regulatory issues to do with insurance etc and you know, um, so even in, in, in terms of driverless cars, driverless lorries, I, I think in five, ten years, we may not be that far from where we are now. Um, but that's probably quite a dull answer. It's not a very sexy, interesting sort of answer about, you know, how robots might transform the way we live, you know. So sorry if it's a dull answer. No, it's perfect. It's per- You know, it's, it's managing expectations, which I think, in, you know, is a big part of what we do in the Scottish AI Alliance. So over to you, Luciana. What do you think is the next next big thing in technology? Well, I think Donald kind of stole my line just before he said that I was also thinking change will be incremental. Um, And I think especially with the um, economic climate we're in at the moment, political, social, what we will um, get the most benefit from is the automation of small tasks, dealing with backlogs and managing uh, all the sort of critical points and fighting fires that we need to do at the moment. So um, having our day improved a little bit more by, you know, an algorithm that reduces your emails and helps you communicate with your team and gives you the data points you need, I think is going to be the the most, one of the most useful tools we can employ um, in the near future. Well, having an algorithm to help me in my daily work sounds ideal. (laughs) The, The incremental change sounds great. 
Well, I'm afraid that's all we're going to have time for today. Uh, thank you both very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to hear more about your work and you know what we're up to. Just a reminder for any of our listeners, uh, Luciana and Donald will be taking part in, well, we'll be running a workshop for us. Um, the in-person element will be on the 11th of November and the online element on the 22nd of November. Both will be at lunchtime. And again, the links are down below. So... We look forward to seeing you there. And thanks again to both of you for, um, for your time today. Thank you, Will. See you soon. Thank you, Will. I've enjoyed the podcast. Nice to talk.